Well, my name is Ron Cool, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here as well, and just a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. Uh, we're going to finish up our series this morning that we've been in for about the last eight weeks called Fatal Attractions. It's been a series in which we're looking at the, the seven deadly sins, those, those things that are so attractive, so enticing to us, but that are also so uh, deadly, so fatal, so difficult for us. And as we begin again this morning and kind of finish this up, I want to give a word of thanks to Rebecca Kneindyke DeYoung, teaches at Kelvin College here locally. Um, she wrote the book Literally. Vices, and it's been very helpful for us as we've put together this series. Um, we're, we're at our very last one. We started with pride, and, and we said that's kind of the trunk of the tree, and it produces the seven deadly sins, that pride is one that, that kind of results in all the others, and so we went through vainglory and envy and anger and sloth and greed and gluttony, and this morning we come to lust, and, and we're going to think about lust, and it is one of the most powerful, it is one of the most difficult, one of the most dangerous of the, of the deadly sins for us to deal with. And, and, and in all this series, we've been trying to recognize that, that, that the reason we do a series like this is because there's freedom in Jesus Christ. And, and that sin is really fatal. That sin gets hold of us and sin damages us. And so uh, that's, I think, especially true of lust. So we're going to ask kind of the same three questions we've been asking for most of this series. What is it? Why is it deadly? I think that's going to be really important for us. And then how do we fight against it? How do we fight against it? So, so what is lust? As, as we've said with a number of these, in fact, I think with all of these, um, Sin in, in this world is, is usually a, a perversion, a twisting of a, of a good gift from God, and that is certainly the case with lust. And, and so in order to understand lust, what I actually want to start with is talking a little bit about the Bible's view of sex. Because sometimes our culture around us says, you know, it, 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 the Bible is anti-sex, and God is anti-sex. And I want to say, no, God is all for sex. In fact, if we take the Bible seriously, some of us will blush this morning, okay? But, but I'm not going to try to be silly or anything, but, but the Bible's view of sex is this, that God created it. God created sex and sexual desire, okay? And, and the reason I say both of those things is that sometimes I think the church has said, and, and sometimes we've gotten this wrong, but it's kind of said, well, yeah, God created sex because he needed more people, and, and so that's why it is, but you shouldn't enjoy it. He didn't create sexual desire. He didn't create, no, God created it and he created it to be fun and enjoyable and celebratory and expressive and meaningful, okay? The Bible makes it clear over and over again. Let's look at the, the very story of creation. Genesis 2, 23 to 25. Looked at this almost a year ago. Um, but in this part of the story, Adam has been created and, and he doesn't have a companion fit for him. He doesn't have somebody to walk with him. And so God creates Eve um, and brings Eve to Adam. And this is, this is what happens when Adam first sees Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Okay? That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that refers at least partly to sexual activity. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, look at this section in particular, all right, that I've just circled, okay? Let me just tell you something I think that's significant and interesting. These are the first words spoken by a human being in the Bible. God speaks in chapter 1 of Genesis. God speaks earlier in chapter 2 of Genesis. Adam has named the animals, but we don't get his words. The first recorded words of any human being in the Bible are these. And just think about what they are. You know what they are? They're a love song sung by a naked man to a naked woman. That's what they are, friends. It is a, the first human words are a love song, a romantic love song saying, let's get it on. I mean, you know, they're sung by a naked man to a naked woman. And so if you don't think God is pro-sex, then we don't understand what the scriptures have to say. God created it. 
God created sex and God created sexual desire. The Bible celebrates it. The Bible celebrates it. There's an entire book of the Bible, the Song of Songs, which just simply celebrates the joy of, in a committed marital relationship, the joy of sexual desire and of sex. In chapter 7, we get words of a man, a husband, looking at his wife, and, and she is naked, and he describes her head to toe. He says at one point this, How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm. You are tall and beautiful, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree, and I will take hold of its fruit, and it means exactly what you think it means. (laughs) That is exactly what it means. He's saying, this is good. This is good. And God is saying, this is good. In chapter 5, we get a a, a picture of of, um, the woman describing the man. And in this case, he's naked. And, and I'm going to suggest possibly, I'll let you decide, but I think that most translations chicken out. I'll tell you why. Chapter 5, she's describing him. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. She's going down and describing him. And, and that line, his body is like polished ivory. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Again, I'm not trying to be overly funny or anything. I'm just trying to tell you how, how seriously the Bible says, enjoy sex. But, but literally what it says there, his body is like polished ivory. It literally says his midsection is like a polished ivory tusk. Yep. Ah, let's just call his belly a six-pack of abs. Nope. In the, in the Hebrew, it's, she's looking at it saying, Polished ivory tusk, enough said. The Bible celebrates the joy of sex and sexual desire. The Bible says this is a good thing, and, and it's a great thing, but it also makes very clear that it is a gift that is to be enjoyed within the context of a covenantal, of a marriage relationship, that a man and a woman are to come together within that relationship. And I want to say that's not just, sometimes I, I, when I think about this, I think, well, the, the, <clears throat> the marriage relationship is like the parameters. That's the outside of it. And, I, and, and as I've thought about it more and, and read what Canandike DeYoung had to say and Tim Keller and so on, I, I think we need to understand that it's not just that marriage and covenant perform kind of the outside that. It's, it's the basis of it. That, that what sex is intended by God to be is in the, in the context of a relationship as a man and a woman become more and more intimate as they share their hearts, as we share our emotions, as we connect and, and as we really, in a sense, become naked emotionally and relationally and socially, as we share all of those things, then God gave us the physical gift of being able to express those things, of being able to deepen those things, of being able to celebrate those things. And that's where sex comes in, okay? It is an a part of that other relationship. It's, it, it's not just that the other relationship is the boundaries. It, it grows out of that. It grows out of that, and it's absolutely a part of it. That's why some people will talk about sex as, as a sacrament. We took uh, celebrated communion here last week, and part of what we, we say we believe happens is, is that communion, taking the bread, drinking the cup, is a, is a visible sign of an is, invisible reality. It's a visible sign and seal of an invisible reality. We say God loves us. We say God loves us and, and, and he graces us. But he also said, take this, taste this, feel this, smell this, eat this, touch this, because I want you to feel how much I love you. 
I want you to, t- to taste how much I love you. I want you to know that. And so when we take that, that communion, what we're doing is we're experiencing that and we're getting an invis- a visible sign of God's invisible grace. And it doesn't just remind us of it, it deepens that. And, and, and sex and marriage is intended to do the same thing. It, it, it's like you have this union and this, this intimacy and this closeness and then God gives us a physical expression of that invisible reality, of that invisible love, a physical way. And, and it not only celebrates it, but it deepens it. And so the Bible's view of sex is, is that sex is the, the physical expression, celebration, and deepening of a covenant commitment. And so what that means is that sex is both good and powerful, okay? That's absolutely essential that we get that, that sex is both good and it's powerful. It does something. It does something, all right? So the image I want to use for this that I think will be helpful so that we can kind of picture this and so that you can remember something at the end, Um, but the image I want to use is that a cupcake and frosting. And I want to suggest that sex is frosting, but frosting is connected to a cupcake. That's that covenant relationship. That's that exposure and sharing of our hearts and of our emotions and, of, and that commitment that says, I'm going to be here. And, 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 and when we have that cupcake, then, then we get the frosting. When we have the cupcake, then, then we experience the joy and the fullness of the frosting. And I think before there was sin in the world, I think before there was sin in the world, what I want to suggest is, is that you'd have maybe some sexual desire, but it'd be like, ooh, frosting without a cupcake would be horrible. It wouldn't be good for me. It'd be damaging to me. And, and, and so we'd understand that, and, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't look good. So that's the biblical view of sex. But now here's what we've got to understand when we get to lust. Because of sin, because of sin, what happens is this. We try to isolate sex and sexual desire from a covenant commitment, okay? We try to kind of take this off and, and say, you know what, I, I just want... Well, I just want the frosting, right? God intended us to have cupcakes with frosting and never to have frosting without cupcakes because frosting without cupcakes makes one sick. And, and, and so God said, you need the cupcake. But what our culture has done and what we have done and what we do in our sin is we say, all I want is frosting. I don't need a cupcake. I just want the frosting. I just want the sexual activity. I just want to do that. And we try to separate that out. And we try to say, well, that's all that it is, okay? We, we separate it out from a covenant commitment. And, and here's what happens. And this is, starts to help us understand lust and what it is. Because what happens is we end up wanting a body and not a person, right? You see, that's lust. Sexual desire wants a person. Sexual desire says, I, I love you, and I give myself to you, and I take you to me. Sexual desire, the kind that God celebrates, the kind song, and song of songs is all about, is, 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 is making love to a whole person, Lust is when it's just a body. And think about that in terms of pornography. Think about that in terms, you know why pornography, I mean, what, what pornography, the appeal of it is, is you don't have to have a, a cupcake, right? In fact, you don't even have to have a, a 3D relationship. It's just a 2D relationship. All I want is the body. I get to look at the body. I don't have to worry about this. This woman obviously loves me because she took her clothes off for me. I don't have to worry about whether she accepts me, understands me, or cares about me. I just want to get my body satisfied. I just, we, and, and, and so in lust, in lust, what we end up doing is saying, I just want the frosting. I don't want the cupcake. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? We want a physical vulnerability without whole life commitment. Again, I want frosting, but I don't want that, that cupcake. Cupcakes are hard, right? Relationships take work. It, it's, it, it, can, it can be challenging to, to make a commitment like that. And, but what we're doing 
is we're saying, physically, I want to show you everything. Physically, I want you to show me everything. But emotionally, you can't see who I am. Relationally, you can't see who I am. I'm not going to commit myself to you. And so we have just this complete, instead of the relationship being all one thing together, where we're growing and, and in that context of that covenant marriage commitment, in the context of that, where we have said to each other, we will be there with each other. Instead of that, we're just going to say, no, I want to be naked in this area, but I want to be completely closed in the other. And that's why da- lust is so damaging to, to us and to others. Because it tries to just cut that off, and it just does so much damage because it makes us less than human. We'll talk about that more. But, but we want to get without giving. Lust is fundamentally selfish, right? What I want is your body, not you. What I want is to satisfy me. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I just want to hook up. I just want to do this. I just want, and it's ultimately selfish. Fascinating to look at the words Jesus uses in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 27 to 28, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, that's right. You shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. That's the biblical view. But he goes on further and he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, hold on. What in the world is Jesus talking about? One of the things I want to point out right now, and we'll come back to this text again later, but but when Jesus says, if you look at a woman lustfully, when he he talks about that, the, the word that he uses is usually not a sexual word. What it is, is it's the word for greed. It's the word, you look at a woman greedily. You look at, look at a woman selfishly. You look at a woman and, and you say, what are you going to do for me? That's lust. That's lust. That's the body without the person. That's the, just saying that's who you are. And, and you are not a person and I don't want a relationship with you. All I want is to satisfy our bodily urges. All I want is to do that. And, and, and that's again why it is so damaging. Because it's all about greed. It's all about selfishness. It's all about getting my needs met. It's all about taking care of me. And there's no giving. There's no cupcake. It's just me eating frosting. So that's the first thing that happens. We try to isolate sex and sexual desire from a covenantal commitment. And I want to just stop a second and, and challenge those of us who are married here. And I'm going to talk particularly to the guys um, because we tend to struggle with this more. But I want to ask yourself to ask, ask you to think about this question. For those of us who are married, is our marriage a healthy, committed covenant? In other words, are you married to a full person or just a sex partner? Because I want to tell you that I believe that the Bible would teach us, I think this is exactly right. Men, if you, do not, if you do not listen to your wives, if you do not respect your wives, if you do not honor them, if you do not treat them as people, then expect to have sex with them. That's not sex. That's lust. If you treat your wife like dirt and then say, I want to have sex, that's not sex. That is not that, that's, it's, adult, it's adultery. You're using her. That's lust. That's, you're using her as a body. Even in our marriages, we can commit lust. If we take sex outside of a relationship, if we're not working on the whole relationship, if we're not listening and learning and growing together, if all that person is to us is a sexual partner to be used, then that is not sex. That is lust, and it is wrong, and it is sinful. So we try to isolate sex and sexual desire, and then one of two things happen, okay? One of two things happen. First, we either treat sexual desire as if it's like any other desire for pleasure. Okay, so I take the frosting off and over here, and then I say, it's just frosting. It's just frosting. And this is what our culture, I think, primarily says. It's not a big deal. You know, our culture says to us as Christians and to me as a preacher, you know, the problem is not sex or lust. The problem is you. 
The problem is us Christians. You know, sex is just a natural thing. It's an itch, and if you can just scratch it, that's fine. The problem is you Christians have said, oh, you're supposed to be monogamous. You're supposed to be exclusive. You've made a big deal out of sex, and that's the problem. What we need to do is just make sex what it is. It's like getting your back scratched. Our culture says over and over again, it's just not a big deal. If I got a, you know, I need my back scratched, and I'm on, you know, a business trip, what's the big deal? I have somebody scratch my back. I have somebody scratch my itch. I have a need for sex. I have sex. It's no big deal. And our culture has spent really a lot of the last 30 years trying to say, it's not a big deal, friends. You can jump in and out of a relationship. It doesn't hurt anybody, right? Two consenting adults or three or four. But as long as everybody agrees, there are no victims. Church, shut up. You're so crazy about sex. Why? <laughs> William Gass says this. He says, lust is simply, and he's, I, I disagree with this, just to make clear. But, but he argues for that. It's just sex. He says, lust is simply the sexual impulse dialed up, making one alert and on the search, encouragingly alive, paying attention to one's friends and companions because they may relieve the itch. You know, I mean, what's bad about this? And he says, satisfied lust may mean that two people are happy. Church, you're crazy. Why, why are you worried about lust? Hey, it's an itch. You got a back scratch. You get it scratched. You've, and, 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 you know, we worry about songs today. Well, let me tell you. Let's go back to my day and dear old Bob Seger, Night Moves. I used her. She used me, but neither one cared. I don't even need to look at it, do I? We were getting our share, working on our Night Moves. This was, you know, I mean, right? I, I got an itch. She had an itch. The back room, the alley, the trusted woods. Unfortunately, I can sing almost that whole song. But what does it say? It's just sex, dudes. Lighten up. You know, you're in high school, you're in college. What's the big deal? You got an itch, she's got an itch. You scratch each other's backs and everybody's happy. Just don't have babies. It doesn't matter. So we treat sexual desire as if it's like any other desire for pleasure. And, and then kind of almost on the opposite side of that, but still going together with it, we ask for sex and sexual desire to give us too much. We say that sex is salvation. We say that it, it, you can't live without it. We say that it gives meaning to life. And, and, and we could never ask somebody to refrain from expressing their sexual desires. I mean, to ask somebody to not have sex is to say, don't be human. I mean, come on. It's just who we are. And, 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 it's, and you can't be a complete person unless you're having sex. Frederick Buechner uh, talks about sex from a Christian standpoint. And he says this. He says, contrary to Mrs. Grundy, and she was one of his teachers who said sex is evil, And he says, contrary to her, sex is not a sin. But then he says this, contrary to Hugh Hefner, it's not salvation either, friends. It's not salvation either. We ask for sex and sexual desire to give us too much. So we we take the frosting off the cupcake. We say, it's just frosting, but if you're not eating frosting, you don't have a life. And what happens then is our sexual desire gets excessive and goes towards the wrong things. We've not taken this, and instead of the cupcake and the cupcake or frosting being together, we've said, no, it's just frosting. And, and all of a sudden, because of sin, we now say, I need frosting. I need sex. I need this because I can't be complete without it. And, 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 and it becomes an excessive need. And we say, I don't care where I get it. It doesn't matter where I get it. It doesn't need a cupcake. I just need to express myself. So to, to finish this section off, lust is an excessive desire for sexual pleasure outside of a covenantal relationship with another person. Okay? Now, You're not going to remember that, but this is what you're going to remember. Lust is an excessive desire to eat frosting without cupcakes. That's what lust is. 
It's saying, I want the frosting and I don't want the cupcake. I want the person, I want the body, but I don't want the person. That's what lust is. So, next section, really important, and I'm going to keep moving here, but how is lust deadly? How, how is it deadly? I mean, really, this is where our culture says to us, what's the problem? I used her, she used me, neither one cared. We were getting our share, working on our night moves. What's the big deal, church? Is it really, is, is, come on, it's a victimless crime. It's just two people who feel better about themselves. Let's go back to Jesus again. Matthew 5 says this, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman greedily, selfishly, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and so Jesus says, don't lust. And then look at how powerfully he talks about what we should do to order, in order to avoid lust. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. He is, he, he's saying, don't mess around with lust, all right? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your entire body to go into hell. Jesus says, take this seriously. And, and, and I think what he, again, you need to understand this. Jesus is not against sex. He's not against sexual desire. But he knows how dangerous and damaging lust can be. He knows what it does to us and what it does to others. I, I think it's really interesting that he uses the word hell here. And, and the word that Jesus uses for hell is a word some of you may know from the Greek, but it's Gehenna, all right? And it referred to a burning garbage dump, smoldering garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem. And, and so what I think Jesus is saying is when lust controls our body, when lust has its control over us, then what we become is our, our lives become a smoldering garbage heap. Our lives are burning, and it's never satisfied, and it's always going on. Jesus knows that we can become so captive to lust that it's like experiencing hell on earth because it is so damaging. So what does that mean? How, how is it damaging? How, how is lust deadly? I, I, I got a lot to say, but I want to keep moving here. But first of all, and, and maybe just most importantly, lust damages us, okay? It, it damages us. It damages and diminishes our souls. When I say that I'm, I'm just going to, I turn myself into an animal, okay? I turn myself into a two-dimensional. God created me in his image to be full and three-dimensional in relationships and, and, and so many good things. But when I allow lust to take control of my body, when I get into pornography, when I start to do those sorts of things, what happens is I get diminished and I turn myself into just a body. I'm no longer a person. I'm no longer somebody who has these relationships. I'm just a body and it diminishes us. The fact is, and, and, and this is why you know, I really want to have you understand this, we cannot do something with our bodies that doesn't impact our souls. You see, our culture says you can take the frosting off and it doesn't have to hit your cupcake. It never works that way. We cannot do something with our bodies that does not impact our souls. We are so connected. This is why all the statistics show, and it's stronger in women than men, but it's well over half in both cases, that the great majority of college students, after a one-night stand, feel like they have just reduced themselves to being an animal. In surveys, I mean, they've said, well, that's why a woman who walks out of it just says, I feel like I'm nothing. I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm and, and that Jesus is trying to save us from that. Because you weren't created to just be a body. You were created to be a person. You are worth so much more than just a body that can satisfy some guy's need. And for three seconds, he's going to say he loves you till the end of time. He wants so much more. And don't diminish yourself. I, I mean, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6, says this. He says, flee from sexual immorality. 
In some ways, sexual sins are different because all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And, and so when we, and, and I want to say, even in looking, it, it's not like, well, it was just a look. You know what? We look and it impacts our character. It diminishes our character. It diminishes who we are. It diminishes our soul. And, and Jesus is saying, don't let yourself, don't let yourself become two-dimensional. He said, for your sake, it damages us. Second, lust is addictive. We will always be wanting more, okay? Lust is addictive. We will always be wanting more. That urge was built for cupcakes and frosting. And if all you do is try to feed that urge with frosting, you will never have enough frosting. There is not enough frosting in the world. There is not enough pornography in the world. There is not enough sex in the world to satisfy your sexual desire if you try to treat it like frosting, if you try to treat it like a standalone item. If you say, this is a scratch, I've got to itch, you will never, ever, 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 ever be satisfied because frosting by itself is not how God created us. God created us for frosting in cupcakes. And this, if we just try to stand on the, on the frosting part, we will, that's why pornography is so addictive. We will always be left wanting more. Third, it damages us because lust damages our ability to have real relationships. Now let me just say right here at the beginning of this that if, if you have struggled with pornography, I'm not saying for the rest of your life you'll never have real relationships. God's grace is strong and there is healing and there is good news and you can restore that. But let me tell you, when you settle for frosting, who cares about cupcakes? Guys who are focused on frosting are really bad at baking cupcakes, and, and it's just a problem. There's a study done by two guys from Baylor University. Mar, uh, I think it's Mark Regneris, and I don't know what Uger it is, but, but they, they did thousands and thousands of, they're, they're sociologists, thousands and thousands of interviews and surveys. The book was, came out in 2011, Premarital Sex in America, How Young Americans Meet, Mate, and Think About Marrying. And, and in one of their chapters, they, they talk about pornography. And, and they talk about three effects. I'm going to mention the first two now, the third one later. But you know what? Guys, you say, it doesn't, doesn't hurt me to look at porn. It doesn't hurt me. It kind of just gets my motor running. Well, let me tell you, two things that they said, and, and again, the numbers show this. But men have, he says, because of pornography, crushingly unrealistic expe- expectations about physical appearance and sexual performance. Guys, if you don't know this, let me just tell you, it's not real. Nobody looks like that. Not even the woman in the pictures look like that because they touch it all up. Nobody looks like that. And no woman, uh, Naomi Wolf, and I disagree with a lot of what she says, but she says, you know what? Because of pornography, every man in America thinks that a, a really live naked woman is just bad porn. It is so crushingly unrealistic. And it just destroys that. And, and, and sexual performance, they're, they're acting, friends. It's not real. And then they say men have a diminished tolerance for real relationships in marriage. I don't learn how to put up with cupcakes and do the hard work of building a good cupcake if I just get the frosting, and especially if I just get it through pornography, because then there's no relationship at all. You have to talk to this person. And it loses, I mean, you lose some of your ability. And that's why I say there's grace. But I'll tell you, don't think that you can have strong relationships if lust is controlling your body. So lust damages our ability to have real relationships. And then fourth, lust leads me to believe that I cannot be a complete person unless I am having sex. And that's pretty prevalent in our culture. 
You know, you're not, you're not just fully alive if you're not having sex. The fact is, yeah, God calls some of us to, be, to, to do without sex, all of us, for at least part of our lives. And guess what? You can still have a full life. We'll come back to that. So lust damages us. You can see those four there. Damages our souls. It's addictive. It damages our ability to have real relationships. That's why Jesus is saying it'd be better to pluck out your eyes than to, than to let lust start to control your body. It damages others. It turns people into commodities to be used, right? I'm a consumer. You're a commodity. And it leads others to see themselves as objects, okay? Now I want to go to that third effect of pornography. Think about this. These guys argue, and they base it on scientific research. Uh, you know, it's sociology, so it's not as hard as some of the other sciences. But, but they say that they argue that all women are being forced to accommodate their behaviors and appearances to the styles of pornography. What they're saying is that whether or not a woman has ever looked at pornography, whether or not she's dating somebody or married to somebody who's ever looked at pornography, it is so pervasive in our culture. It is so pervasive in our culture that every woman is being impacted by the power of pornography. And every woman is being forced into, into looks and into styles. And if you don't believe me, go ask yourself, why in the world is Target marketing sexy underwear for six-year-old girls? It, even if you don't look, our culture is so pervaded with lust. Our culture is so pervaded with frosting that we say, six-year-old girls, go ahead, show us your frosting. And that's pretty sick. That's pretty sick. So it leads others to see themselves as objects. Even if, if somebody else isn't even looking at it, because of our culture and the way we've been taught about these, it damages our relationships with God. It, it becomes the source of security and significance and happiness. Sexual sin, like all sin, separates us from God. So it damages us, it damages others, and it damages our relationship with God, all right? How do we fight against lust? How do we fight against lust? I think I've got five things, and I'll go through them. I'll, I'll try to keep moving here. But we have to understand that only God can give us the love that we most need. The fact is, because of sin, there are empty places in our lives. And the biggest empty place, it can only be filled by God. It can only be filled by God through Jesus Christ. And you can throw all the frosting in the world at your empty place, and you will never be satisfied. But if you get God into that empty place, if you realize that he will take care of you, that he will give you the deepest sort of love, he will give you the strongest love that there is possible, if we get God into that place, we will realize that I don't need the other ones as much. It doesn't need to control me, okay? It, it's, not the, it's not salvation. And I begin to say, you know what? God is enough. Philippians 4.19, Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Tim Keller talks about love songs. And, and he points to one that, that, again, comes from my day by Dan Fogelberg called Longer. Some of you know this one. Longer than there have been fishes in the oceans, higher than any bird ever flew, longer than there have been stars up in the heavens, I've been in love with you. That's what love songs, right? We want to promise eternity. We want to promise something permanent. We want to promise, but you know what? No person can sing this song. You know who can? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's only Jesus who can say to you longer than there have been fishes in the ocean, I've been in love with you. Higher than any birds ever flew, I've been in love with you. It's only Jesus who can give us permanent significance, security, meaning, and happiness. And, and so we understand that only God can give us that. Jesus died for us. Lust wants you to die for it. Second, don't buy the lie that sex is the greatest good. You know, our culture kind of says it's salvation. You know what? It is a very good good. I'm going to go with not just a good good. It's a very good good. Let's be honest about it. But it's not 
the greatest good. And I want to say, we can have a great full life without sex, okay? That is entirely possible. You can have deep relationships. You can have deep friendships. And if God is calling you, like I said, some of us God is calling to be celibate, to, to, to not engage in sexual activity for part of our lives. All of us for part of our lives, right? Until we're married. Some of us, most of our lives. Some of us, all of our lives. And what I want to say is you can still have a full, wonderful, great life. You're not missing out on everything. It's a very good good. But it's not the greatest good. It's not. It's frosting, okay? It's not the greatest good. Third, kind of the other side of that, don't pretend that it should be easy to refrain from sex and, and, and excessive sexual desire. This is kind of saying, you know what, don't just, you know, if you're in high school, college, 25, um, it's not easy. Because it is a very good good that you're not getting. And, 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 and don't let anybody kind of tell you, ah, it's just easy, just don't do that. You know, just, just don't do that. That's what you got to do is just say no. You know what, yeah, you have to say no. But understand, you need friends to walk with you. And, and, and it's not easy. You can be married. It's not, the sexual desire is so strong. And so we need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to encourage our kids and, and remind them that it's so worth it, that, that, that it's so, when we just eat frosting without cupcakes, it's so damaging, and it's so great when we have the frosting and the cupcake together. So, yeah, sex is a very good good, so don't think it should be easy. Fourth, develop strong boundaries and accountability. All right, here I'm thinking about things like internet filters. filters. Go to triplexchurch.com, and and they have an internet program that will, sorry, it's going to take me two minutes. This is a great story. Some of you, they've got a program that will, um, if you go to a pornographic site, it will send an email to your spouse, okay? And um, Kevin, (laughs) sorry, I should have asked. (laughs) He he had this on his computer. You might remember a couple of years ago, his computer was stolen. And he thought maybe he lost it until, until Nicole started to get all these emails about all these sites. Whoever stole it was not only a thief, but he liked to, to look at porn. And she started, it just lit up. But, but you know, I mean, those kind of things can be helpful. Too many of us, we get, we get right to the edge and we kind of say, I want to get as close. Stay back from the edge. Use an internet filter. Put the computer in a public place. Be wary of places that are triggers. Guys, maybe you don't go to the beach. Maybe you don't go to the mall and walk past Victoria's Secret. You know, maybe you don't. I, I, I read about one, one group of guys in, in college and, and high school, they, became, they, they decided to sit in the front row at church because they realized when they sat in the back row, they were always checking out girls. And so what are the places that are triggers? Don't go there. You don't want to be consumed by lust. And if I can say, and again, I, I'm being kind of stereotypical here, but girls, young ladies, when you go to the beach understand what you're doing to a guy. When you put all your frosting out there, he's really, it's really difficult to think about cupcakes. When you put all your frosting out there, it, it's just really difficult for a guy to think about cupcakes. Enough said. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Put those barriers up there. Put those things in place. Have accountability. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw away. So develop strong boundaries and accountability. And then the last one, develop deep friendships. The way to conquer lust is through love. You say, yeah, but I don't have a cupcake. 
Yeah, but you can still develop good, strong friendships. And we in the church have not been very good about that. Interesting, Wesley Hill is a guy who is, he's a homosexual Christian who is convinced that the Bible teaches him he needs to be celibate, that he cannot engage in sex. He's got a book coming out in 2015 called Spiritual Friendship. And what it's all about is saying we in the church need to rediscover for those who are called to celibacy, whether by their choice or not, but we need to rediscover what it is to have strong spiritual friendships and, and, and to have cupcakes, the kind that don't require frosting. You can develop those friendships. The way to conquer lust is through love. So again, that list there. We've got to wrap this up. In Christ, friends, again, this is about freedom. I am not against sex. I am not against sexual desire. God is not. What I'm worried about is people who are getting controlled and consumed and who are burning and smoldering with garbage. And they're caught in it. In Christ, we can be free from lust so we can, be, so we can love. And as into the whole series, it's not just lust, but it's envy and greed and gluttony and all of those things. In Christ, friends. Christ, we can be free. He has come to give us life so that we can have it to the full. Let's pray together. Father, you created us fearfully and wonderfully with a great desire for cupcakes and frosting. Lord, it doesn't work right now and frosting looks good all by itself. So teach us, Lord, what love is. Teach us what beautiful sexual desire is so that we don't fall for the fake stuff. Father, thank you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ and we pray for new life and freedom in him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.